just because something is difficult or something hasn't been done before doesn't mean that it's not worth trying. Welcome to Better Together with Kostya Epifonsev, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Hey guys, this is Morgan. I'm the producer of Better Together with Costa Yepafonsiv, and today I'm here with a very special guest, Costa. So we just wanted to take a moment to introduce ourselves and really tell you about why we started the podcast and what we want to accomplish with it. So Costa, if you just want to tell us a few words about what the podcast means to you, what you'd like to accomplish, and what we're really doing here. We set out to create a podcast that, in my opinion, would bring optimism back into people's lives, optimism back into their family life, into their work life. And the reason we ended it with living intentionally is because for the most part in my life, I've been most successful when I've worked towards a goal. And living intentionally is waking up every single day, knowing what your short-term goals are, what your long-term goals are. And when I say goals, I'm not just talking about work. I'm also talking about family and letting yourself be consumed with those goals, not giving up on it. The world's, you know, it's a it's a chaotic place. And what I really wanted to do was give people kind of the uh, permission to take it head on. Yeah, you know? I love that. Yeah. I remember one of the first times we ever talked to each other about starting, you know, the podcast and everything is that you were you were just so struck by that, like thought of living intentionally and, mm-hmm. and, you know, bringing more purpose to your life and other people's lives. And um, yeah, so I'm super excited. And yeah. I'm just gonna I want to have people get to know you a little sure. bit better. So if you just want to give us a little bit of background on you, where you come from, uh, people might not know that you're an immigrant. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I want to hear the whole sure. thing. I was born in Rostov-on-Don, Russia, which is um, right outside of the Black Sea uh, on the Don River, uh, wow. which it, it's a city that borders uh, the country of Ukraine, uh, 200 miles north of Sochi, where they had the Olympics. So we moved here when I was five years old with my parents through the Jewish Community Center, and we settled in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so immediately right off the boat, uh, for anybody out there that's listening that may be an immigrant, you can relate. And honestly, if you are a American citizen, you could probably relate to this too. So first thing that happened, my parents uh, set foot on American soil and said, well, we got to get a job. And they pretty much worked multiple jobs throughout most of my um, early you know, childhood. Uh, but they were chasing the American dream and they made that... Uh, you know, that that practice known to anybody that would ask, uh, you know, why they came to America, the, the land of opportunity, uh, and they were willing to, to maximize their output as, as much as they could. So grew up in Atlanta, um, uh, parents split when I was about 10. So what I did next was I just kind of stopped identifying with my Russian heritage and just tried to be as American as possible at that point. Um, it was just me and my dad. Uh, we were living in Washington State for a few years. Um, and I tried to pick up on as much of the American culture as I could. I know that a lot of people say, well, you know, if you're young, when you come to the United States, uh, you kind of assimilate and you don't really know. Most people don't know that you're an immigrant. But... Right. 
Um, well, you don't have an accent. Right. So. Yeah, right. And that, <laughs> I think people helps. are always surprised <laughs> when I tell them that is that they're like, well, he doesn't have an accent. Right. Why don't you have an accent, Costa? Right. Come on. Well, I mean, I worked really hard to, to lose the accent and I worked really hard to pick up on all the inflections. And the whole reason why I wanted to do that, it wasn't like I'm trying to hide anything or be somebody that I'm not. Yeah. Um, I wanted to position myself with the lowest barrier of entry in terms of being successful in the United States. Because when I was growing up, seeing my parents struggle, all I wanted to do was just not experience that same type of struggle. Sure. Um, Do you think that some of that struggle came from being an immigrant and people knowing right off the bat, either, you know, just from their accent or maybe sure. the way they dressed or something yeah, like that. I mean, yeah. They knew that their options were limited, especially at the beginning. Nobody is super comfortable around in new situations or around people that are different, especially, you know, early on. Most people just don't, they don't treat you different on purpose. Yeah. Um, it's kind of this unintentional, you're a little more reserved, you know, you don't really know what to say, what you can and can't say because, you know, you're from a different country. So it's hard to build a relationship with people and they kind of come in with their guard up. And what I realized early on was in America, if you wanted to be successful, you had to be either very, very smart or very, very ambitious. I just assimilated as best as I could, you know, and and it it really wasn't until I left high school and started uh, working that I started to realize that being an immigrant and telling people that I'm from a different country isn't a faux pas, you know, but when you're a kid, you know, that's, that's just something that you, you know, I had anxiety about. Yeah. You didn't want to be different. Right. Exactly. That's okay. But yeah, tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you worked your way up in your career. And I mean, I, I find it very interesting. Sure. So I'll get, I'll get into, um, as much of the details as I can. I played hockey throughout most of my high school career and moved around, lived with host families. Uh, and I was 19 years old. I was playing on a team in Dallas, uh, living with a host family. And I just realized that I wasn't going to make it to the show. Uh, and so I just said, you know what, this is, I've got to make a change here. I've got to pivot. And so I decided to move to Tennessee where I played uh, my very first year when I was away from home and I had a good support system there. And I got a job at Radio Shack and made six fifty an hour. But yeah. I remember the first day when I went to Radio Shack and I walked through the doors and I just looked around and I'm used to this hyper competitive environment being in sports. And I, and I looked around and it kind of seemed like everybody was just uh, kind of asleep at the wheel. You know, it, they right. just didn't really care. And, uh, you know, even though we had a sales board that would, you know, measure how well somebody was doing, they didn't care about that. And even though we were on commission sales, they didn't care about that either. So it was one of those things where I learned early on that the real world is much easier to navigate than sports. Oh. <laughs> yes. I know it sounds crazy, but it's actually much easier. It's, there's, you know, showing up every single day when you're playing a competitive sport is is a difficult thing to do, especially if you don't have a support system around you that knows how to prepare you or tell you, hey, man, listen, you know, I think McDonald's probably isn't the best pregame meal, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. right? Or, um, you know, if you have, you know, training off ice, you should probably do it, you know, instead of, oh, you know, sure, do it, don't do it. You know, it's, I, di- I didn't have any professional 
professional coaching, right? right. But in the so real did, world, did you work your way up to being the king of Radio Shack? Like, I mean, I mean, I think I, the business went under. <laughs> so I'm guessing that you're not like the CEO of Radio Shack I, secretly right. now. I left. I left Radio Shack after six months. I did sell a lot of cell phones, and yeah. I um, was the uh, top salesman in my store at Oof. the Cool Springs Mall in Franklin. Wow. Yep. Uh, and my next job, Goals. yep, yep. My next job was working at Land Rover, where I worked for five years and I sold cars there. Okay, cool. Uh, at the Land Rover Nashville dealership in Brentwood, and that was the best job. And I think everybody should at some point sell cars in their life. And the reason why I say that is because whether you know anything about cars or not, you learn a lot about people, what people want. This you know, may not apply to everybody, but learning how to sell something to somebody is... It's probably one of the most important skills I've ever learned. I agree. Yeah. yeah I so agree. I, I think less, I think uh, more people need to learn how to talk, how to convince, how to persuade, how to negotiate. You know, um, I think it would set them up for success in a lot well, of even, different industries. Or you know, read the room. I think that's a big right. part of sales too. Like I've used sales in every job I've ever had, but just being able to read someone and see where they're coming from mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, feel them out a little bit. Sure. That's worth yeah. so much. So Yeah. So I worked I worked at Land Rover for 5 years. I had a mentor there who kind of taught me how to what to do with my hands essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh they taught me how to dress, taught me how to speak um you know in an intelligent manner. Yeah. It was um, your great Gatsby moment. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> so I I worked there for 5 years. I met my wife Jessica while I was working there. Uh did well. I, you know, we bought a house in Nashville. Um yeah. uh we were both working. We didn't have any kids though. Yeah. So, so most of the money just went to like hobbies like grass seed yeah. and gas for the lawnmower. Right. That was my passion. Well, how did you get, I mean, people might not know, but you work in long-term care and yep. kind of how did you segue into that? How sure. did you find the opportunity? I mean. Yeah. So my wife's dad has a company in Middle Tennessee that's called Home Caregivers. He started in 2002 and he was turning 65 within a few years of him calling us and saying, hey, you guys have been doing really well. I'm super proud of you. Would you be interested in buying my company? Okay. That was like... You said we're cooking with gas. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've always wanted to run my own business. I just never thought it would happen this soon. The long and short of it is we went to work for him in 2012. We worked for him for two years um, and he felt comfortable enough to sell it uh, to us. Uh, We didn't get the family discount, unfortunately, uh, I wish, but uh, we did buy it and it was a successful business when we bought it and it's only grown since we've owned it. And now, you know, we've spent about six years managing it and, you know, putting the right people into place so that I can do, you know, something also that I have been wanting for a long time, something that I've been considering my, considered my passion, which is talking to other people, getting to know them, uh, listening to their stories, sharing some of my advice, you know, not that it's, you know, a complete game changer, but I think some people would be interested uh, because prior to us even thinking about doing this podcast, trying to understand what is the single, like a singular message in all of it. And I feel like one thing that I have that most people don't is my life up until about 2015 has just been a life in transition. Yeah. You know, a constant, a constant flux of change. And you've gotten lucky, but you, 
yeah. you've worked really hard too. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I, I think I think luck is important in in people's success. It's not just luck. It's what you do when you're presented when you're lucky enough to have that type of opportunity. You know, most people they get presented with an opportunity, but they might back off or they might not perform at a high level. Nobody ever says they got lucky, even right. though they technically <laughs> did, right? right? Only people that get lucky are the ones that capitalize on an opportunity. So we ended up coming to Middle Tennessee uh, because of the business that we own, Home Caregivers. And we've got four kids. They are incredible. Uh, very difficult, but super incredible. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> I, know. I don't know how you do it, Cass. I really don't. <laughs> I have a wonderful wife. Uh, my wife's name is Jessica, and she is the uh, purpose for all beings. So if anybody out there listening is like a 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, and they're like, I don't care about you know, family or getting married. I just want to get that paper. You know, I want yeah. to go make it rain. And, you know, that's, that's my, that's my, uh, North Star, right? Aww. Wait until you have kids. Wait until you have a wife that cares about you, like only your parents would have ever cared about you and see how you change. You actually, you know, I think it, I think it makes you better. Because not only do you live for yourself to achieve your goals, but you also are trying to kind of protect this beautiful and sacred environment uh, that you've created. And it's, man, it's powerful. When it works, like when everybody's happy and you can feel like the aura of love just pulsating within the walls, um, it's even a better feeling than making a million dollars, I feel like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's big. Yeah, because when that money goes away or if it ever goes away, you know, you want to know that you've got people there um, that are going to follow you on the journey. Because just as lucky as you might get to capitalize on an opportunity, you could also be extremely unlucky and you don't want to be left out in the cold all alone because you alienated the people that cared most about you. Sure. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. What's your first thought when you wake up in the morning? I'm very intrigued to know. I think about these things all the time. Yeah. What's going on in that head? Um, so my first thought, I am a person of routine. Yeah. So usually my first thought is, you know, check my phone. Right. And, you know. That's the exact I, thing they tell you not to do, by I the way. I know. I know. It's but, terrible. But that's my step But no one. rules for Costa. Right. 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 I mean, just, we're going I mean, off the rails. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. If I didn't live in a routine or a structured plan, I would be all over the place. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to accomplish my tasks, my to do lists. So I just I have to stay I have to stay in a routine. I wake up, I check my phone, check my messages, check my email, check Apple News. Wow. Yeah. And you got to stay in the loop. Right. I, mean, right. I get it. Yeah. And so I usually take So your first thought is where's that phone at? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you know, as pop as unpopular as that might be, um, you know, I wake up, get some coffee, uh, go run five, six, seven miles, uh, let my head clear. I honestly, I spend about two to three hours every morning just getting ready for the day. Wow. Yeah. And I know that, um, That's a lot. yeah, but I just, I need it. I need, yeah. it's like, I, there's like meditation. Have you always in there. done this or is this a new thing? Um, 
I've I've been doing this for almost two and a half years now. Oh, okay, um, cool. I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you Time work... Time didn't really right, accommodate. Exactly. When yeah. you work for someone else or when you're trying to scale a, a business... Yeah. Um, it's just hard to find time if you don't have the right people in place. And for the longest time, I didn't have the right people in place or people in general. Right. Um, so it was left up to me and I just didn't have time for myself. And yeah. there's a lot of people that, that fall into that um, scenario. But working hard, working diligently and finding the gaps that needed to be filled, making sure they are filled, led me to a point now where I can take time for myself. And I never want to go back there. I mean, I would. Oh, man. I never want to go back to working 90, 100, 120 hours a week just because I was too scared that if I left my desk, I'd miss something. Like, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of people feel that way, myself yeah. included. The right. other person at the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like what's thing, what's one thing that you can't live without? Like, what's one thing that you're just like? I, I can't live without this. So if you were my friend um, eight years ago, you would probably be like, where did this come from? But the Costa of 2021, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's family. Aww, you know, I know it's Costa. weird because like, that's not what a bro oh. should say. <laughs> Costa, just, ad- just to admit that you are no longer a bro. God, it's, I it's know. fine. I know. You know, know. but I I was more kind of meaning like, what's one, what's one material thing that you couldn't live without? We know that your, your, your heart races for your family, but what's one material thing? Um, What's one material thing? It's a toughie. I feel like if I were to contribute to this, it would be, you always wear a bracelet. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I know that you could obviously survive without it. Sure. I probably wouldn't feel as confident without it, though. You are right. Yeah. Um, So my mentor, when I worked at Land Rover, like I was saying, guy that taught me how to speak, how to dress, um, you know, how to... Gave you your great Gatsby moment. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, He, We were sitting in his office one day and... I, somebody had given him this purple bracelet that said animal rescue site on it, had little yeah. paws on it. Uh, and he said, Hey, do you want it? You know? And I mean, I don't know why, but people normally don't give me things. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why, uh, especially back then. And he gave it to me and I put it on and I don't know, I just never took it off. And so, right. and so it broke one day and I was like, Oh no, you know, I, I need my purple bracelet. And yes. so I went on the website and I bought like a thousand. Wow. Yeah. It's, I, yeah. You donated, I think it was like 20 bucks for a hundred oh. uh, and I just bought a thousand of them. Yeah. Um, they'll never run out. Yeah, so I'll never run out. So I'll always have this purple it. animal rescue site bracelet. The person, the my mentor's name, his name is Stephen Flug. We don't talk as often as we used to, but I can tell you that I think about him, you know, every single day uh, whenever I look at the bracelet, and just and just am so thankful because I would never have these types of opportunities or the level of trust that I have from certain people if it wasn't for someone that could kind of polish all the rough edges. Yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, I love that so yeah. much. That's that's so wonderful. So I know that you just told us about one of your mentors, but who do you think really inspires you to be the best version of yourself? My dad came to this country in 20 at 28 years old and I just think what he must have been feeling, literally just starting over at 28 in another country with not knowing the language or having any of the necessary, necessary skills to be successful. When you take the magnitude of that decision, I mean, he really 
inspires me to push myself just because something is difficult or something hasn't been done before or there's a low probability of success uh, doesn't mean that it's not worth trying. And every time that I get upset or discouraged or anything, um, I think of, you know, well, God, you know, he's 28 years old. He's coming here with his wife and kid and, you know, just grinding his way to prosperity. Uh, if he can do it, you know, why can't I? You know, I've, I've been given all of the the tools to be successful in this country. You know, nothing was necessarily withheld from me. So because of that, I I always... I always look to him when things get tough and, and, you know, and again, say to myself, you know, if he's going to, if he can do it, why can't I? Yeah. You know, I love it. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Definitely my dad. We always like to wrap it up on a high note. So yes. I want to ask you, who is one person who you are just simply better together with? Who's somebody that you just think, oh, well, I'm so much better when I'm with them. Uh, Morgan Franklin. Oh my gosh. So Please. <laughs> Morgan is the type of person that she's not even like a cheerleader because that doesn't do her justice. She's just you can tell that there is passion in everything that she does. Um, and more importantly, I think that she truly, truly loves people. She loves to see people succeed. And she's from what I've learned, um, is very gracious in giving lots of chances. So that's very sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Together with Costa Yepafonsive. If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Writing and production by Morgan Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonsive.com. We're better together. <laughs>